This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Pete Childs, CFO of Workfront, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 463. already over $200 million in revenue. When I joined Smartsheet, we had not even hit over $60 million of revenue. So I, I joined at a, um, an earlier time, which was exciting for me because I like to build things uh, right from the beginning. I anticipate um, the future, and I want to set the right policies, processes, procedures um, up at the beginning so that I can spend more time um, enabling the business to reach its full potential. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organization. On today's show, we speak to Jennifer Saran, CFO of Smartsheet. Jennifer entered the CFO office after a varied and experienced rich journey that straddled the Atlantic and includes such odd bedfellows as Merrill Lynch, Sara Lee, eBay, Cisco, and more. Our discussion begins after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, visit us at Workday.com. of Smartsheet. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you, Jack. So, Jennifer, we always begin uh, by asking our guests to look back and uh, share with us some of the career experiences they feel prepared them for a finance leadership role. What comes to mind for you? Yeah, I would say there were, there were, there were many, but the three that stood out uh, was my first job on Wall Street. I worked at Merrill Lynch as an analyst for two years. And what was interesting about that was I uh, learned how companies were financed and then what investors expect from companies in terms of how they grow, how they drive shareholder value. And what was a big aha for me at the time, may not be so much now, is how important cash really is in understanding the ultimate value of the business. That the P&L, the accounting P&L is helpful and necessary uh, to be a public company. But I make all of my decisions now thinking about how I can maximize long-term cash returns. The second um, big experience for me was when I was the treasurer of eBay. Um, I joined eBay in 2003 at about a billion in revenue. I left at 14 billion. And 
uh, thing that happened there was I had to be the treasurer. I was the treasurer during the financial crisis of 2008. And for me, that was the ultimate experience in managing risk and needing to be decisive and owning the outcomes for my company as well as my team. Everything was moving very fast, and so you could not as much use rigorous analysis at this time as you had to be very street smart and look at the facts that were facing you and making very quick decisions. And that turned out to be very critical for the company and my team in protecting the company's uh, billions of dollars of financial assets. So, for example, um, my team and I uh, got a sense that Lehman might very well fail. And so we took swift action uh, with some transactions that we had with them to make sure that we were clean if that did happen. We also know that at the time auction rate preferred stock on basically got uh, stuck. Uh, we had basically gone out of our auction rate preferred stock uh, because we saw the inherent risks related to the rollover of the auctions themselves. And then the AAA money market funds, everybody thought they were safe. We actually thought maybe they could break the buck if those particular funds had underlying positions in, say, for example, Lehman. So we took action against all of these uh, beliefs that we had, and we came out largely unscathed. And what I learned from that is how important it is to be very decisive and to act very quickly. And that was a, a big, big thing for me, and it's something I've taken with me at every job I've had since. And then I would say the third thing that um, helped to prepare me to, to be a finance leader was when I managed re investor relations at eBay. This was back in 2010, when it was in time when the company had lost investor trust because of some misses in strategy and execution. Our stock had, had gone from somewhere in above 50 to down to 10 at that time. And what I learned is how important and how long it takes to rebuild trust, um, but that we had to do that by acknowledging our past shortfalls, uh, telling the investors what we plan to do differently to fix them, and then actually fix them. Um, another thing that was really important was we had to be honest with ourselves, recognizing where we could improve and how we could make ourselves a better company. And so one of the very important skills that I learned during that time was uh, the value of courage and, and needing to be really honest and, and telling, telling the truth so that you can take that and improve. I want to mention that you were also with, uh, in the past, with Cisco. You were with Box, not to mention eBay. Uh, where you were uh, there for, uh, say, nine years, uh, you joined it in 2003, which uh, was when eBay was something new and different, and everybody was talking about it. When you look back, how do you reflect on it? eBay was an amazing company and still is. Um, what excited me about eBay back in 2003 was, one, the marketplace itself. I loved buying things um, at garage sales. I'm like a big auction person, and so being able to buy stuff at a good value, um, basically creating efficiency and inefficient markets, that was really exciting. But the thing that I also observed that was not well known at the time was the power of PayPal. Uh, eBay had acquired PayPal in October of 2002, I believe, and when I was doing my due diligence to consider joining eBay, and uh, 
read about PayPal, I said, oh my gosh, this, this company can transform how we do payments. And so that was one of the things that really excited me about joining the company. And I actually managed the treasury of PayPal. And the treasury of PayPal was not only um, you know, an expense, uh, a risk management function, we also generated revenue by managing the foreign currency um, aspects of the business that happened, the investor balances, that customer balances that would be sitting on the account. So uh, eBay was an amazing company, and I think still is today, but really you had to unpack all the things that were below it to see the, the true capability and the true value that was there. So it's also what, what sets you apart from others. You're not coming up through the public accounting ranks. You are really within, inside the treasury function of some of your early positions. Um, and uh, am I wrong? Did they have a – you must have done some international travel, from what I can tell, related to uh, the treasury function. Is that right? Or tell, that tell is- us something about your – yeah, I did. I did get – I was in Europe for four years. I spent three years with Sarah Lee um, during the time of the, the euro becoming uh, the new currency, 1996 to 1999. Then I spent a year with Cisco in Ireland leveraging my newly learned international treasury skills. But it was also a, um, a capital – it was called Cisco Capital, so we also did a lot of leasing and, and structured loans to our customers. Um, but yeah, I have. I would say of all of my finance um, skills, I've been in corporate development. I've been in FP&A, uh, but I spent most, the majority of my time in Treasury, which um, was very helpful because, like I mentioned to you, I believe ultimately cash is what drives the value of a company, uh, return on that cash. So that was very relevant. But um, but anyway, that's the, yeah, that's the story. So I have to say something here. It seems to me that uh, coupons.com and, and Stockpile Inc. reveal the opening of a more uh, entrepreneurial chapter where I think now she's really got the uh, Silicon Valley itch. Or, or no, am I, over, you know, am I wrong about that? Did you, do you view it differently? I would say that um, I am a very entrepreneurial CFO. I love coming up with new ways of doing things. Um, I'm not conventional, and so if you unpack my career, you will see uh, areas where I came up with a new idea and implemented it on the financial realm, but um, there's a lot of examples of that. When I was at Sara Lee Corp in Europe, I came up with an idea to uh, build the first Euro cash pool that centralized all of our cash balances and our deficit balances amongst 100 uh, legal entities. And no one had done that before. And now someone would have done it. I'm uncertain of that. But I decided I wanted to be the first to do it so that I could uh, have the best solution for the company. Uh, when I was at Cisco, uh, early in the day, we were what we call eating our own dog food with the Internet. So we would create um, – software applications that we used internally. So the, the tool that my team uh, built was called the Wire Request Tool, which is something now that lots of um, you know payments companies have and banks have, but that was something that we created, and I would say that I helped uh, to lead that effort as well. And so, yeah, I would say I, I love being a CFO that can also put on the idea hat and say, how can we be better? How can we create 
new opportunities that make our internal operations more efficient as well as serve our customers better. We have to move to Smartsheet now. We have to find out what is the opportunity that brought you there. Why, you know, here was the next step for someone who has had all of this experience along the way. And then I'd like to just um, step back with you as you swung open the door there. But can, can you tell us uh, tell us about Smartsheet? What is the opportunity being pursued? Yep. So um, Smartsheet is a software-as-a-service company that is paving the way for a new and better way of working. And it's managing work execution in a global and often ever-changing environment. So it's work that is unstructured, that changes every day. Um, a new project, a new process, um, approvals that are ever-changing, dashboards that need to get updated on a daily basis. We offer um, a breadth of capabilities that put the power of managing all of this into the hands of the business user. You don't need to hire or go out and get your IT department to help you uh, build a, a project management platform or solution or a workflow automation for, let's say, your procurement contracts or a dashboard for reporting your uh, sales pipeline or your revenue um, forecasting. You can do this all within Smartsheet and the business user has it. And so what attracted me to Smartsheet was the power it had to make work easier for all of us who've been working. And I've been working, you know, for over 30 years now. I started without a computer, without a cell phone, um, without software applications like we have today. And I've always been drawn to companies that make things easier and better for people. And Smartsheet, when I got a call from the recruiter for Smartsheet, when I went and I had not actually used the, the product before, but when I went on and saw it, I was blown away by what it could do. Smartsheet's been a very frugal company. It's very careful about how it um, manages its, its cash resources. And so the marketing, I think, at the time was um, somewhat limited. So the way people found out about Smartsheet was through viral um, methods, people hearing, hearing it about it from their friends and coworkers. Um, but I saw a big opportunity, and, um, you know, we went public in April. Uh, the total addressable market is in, the, you know, the, the billions of dollars, the tens of billions of dollars. And so I love going after, you know, big opportunities. I love helping uh, people uh, get more value and, and improve their daily lives, whether it be personal or through work. And so that's what Smartsheet did for me. We want to find out, when you stepped into your current role, uh, what was the kind of job you wanted to create for yourself? Now, clearly you're the leader here. The buck stops with you, and that's always it's satisfying and it's fulfilling. But, uh, you know, what is the role you see a finance leader playing here that might not have been, uh, you know, found somewhere else? Well, so this was the, the second time I was a public company CFO, but the first time I was a public company CFO, the company had already gone public. It was already over $200 million in revenue. When I joined Smartsheet, we had not even hit over $60 million of revenue. So I, I joined at a, um, an earlier time, which was exciting for me because I like to build things uh, right from the beginning. I anticipate on um, 
the future, and I want to set the right policies, processes, procedures um, up at the beginning so that I can spend more time um, enabling the business to reach its full potential. So what, what attracted me to Smartsheet was that opportunity to um, capture a much larger part of this new and evolving market and work execution. Um, what also attracted me was the people. I mean, um, having worked at several different companies and several different cultures, I love working with colleagues that are collaborative and team-oriented and really working together as a team. And Smartsheet um, absolutely played up to that so well. They had a very capable team, great CEO, great peers, people working for me. And I just wanted to make sure that um, I continued to help this leadership team who'd taken the company from nothing to $65 million get to a billion dollars in revenue. And that's a, that's a goal that we actually set for ourselves uh, back in October. Uh, we said and we aspire to be over a billion dollars in revenue in the next four to six years. We are forecasting uh, the full year right now to be somewhere between 174 and a half to 175 and a half approximately a million dollars. So uh, healthy growth rate um, takes a lot to get there. I've worked at companies that have grown very fast. I'm energized. I'm energized by all of that. For other finance leaders who would like to enter a similar opportunity and take a company public for the first time, it seems like so many, uh, so often those roles are filled with veterans, people who have done it already. Three, you know, some of them have done it three different times. But what about, what would you tell us? What set you apart, do you feel? And again, you had joined, you had been a CFO, but you hadn't, uh, you, you didn't take that one public, as you shared. Um, I think what helped me um, with the process is, one, my background in Treasury. It was just another financing transaction. So whether you're doing a debt capital markets transaction um, or an equity transaction, you know, there's a lot of similarities to that. Um, I think secondly, I did work on the box IPO. I did lead that effort, and so I learned a lot about um, how to do it. Uh, you read a lot about how others have done it. I think um, one of the important things, I don't think you have to be a CFO who's done it before to have a successful transaction. I think what you need to do as a CFO is be really open and willing to learn from others and leverage external expertise. Um, and so do your research. Um, in our particular case, I actually didn't lead the effort at Smartsheet. The head of our legal department and our corporate controller uh, co-led the project, and they had never done it before. And so I served as a guide, as a mentor, um, asked a lot of questions, but they actually were the ones that did all the heavy lifting. And there were a lot of things they did that were so creative that I never would have thought of, which actually made it even better. So, you know, having a, a project team that is working very closely but um, really adding value I think is important. For example, our corporate controller um, leveraged a, a, an application tool that we had acquired, that we had uh, subscribed to, to review all of the SEC letters of uh, recent software IPOs. And so we were able to get ahead of the game in what 
was likely to be questions the SEC would ask of our S-1 filing, our preliminary filing. And so we were able to say, you know, that's probably a question we're going to get asked. So let's incorporate a response to that into our S-1 now before they get it. And as a result of that effort, which maybe took a little bit more time but was just so worth it, we ended up getting uh, 10 questions back from the SEC on our first round. And as far as we can tell, that's the lowest number of questions any SaaS company has gotten in the last uh, two years. And so, you know, we just – it's important that you are going to do your homework, you're dedicated, you spend the time, and you, you reach out to folks that have done it before. You have leverage your bankers. Um, that's, that's sort of the best feedback I would give. Now, it's interesting. Uh, I want to ask you about the competitive marketplace for these types of offerings. What you've described sounds awfully unique, and I'm sure there – uh, there might be multiple different types of competitors, uh, but none of them quite approach the market the same way you folks do. Am I stating that uh, correctly, or how, how would you look at the, the world? Yeah, that's very that's very accurate. I would also say that our biggest competitor is probably just the ways you used to do it. <laughs> so I used to deliver dashboard-like capabilities via PowerPoint once a week to our CFO at eBay. And on Sundays, we were emailing everyone to get the updated charts to input into the PowerPoint to send to our CFO. Um, today, if I had been there then, I could have leveraged Smartsheet. I could have created the dashboards with those graphs that would have been real-time updated, and he would have had access to it, you know, whenever he wanted it. Um, so our biggest, our biggest challenge is just status quo. And then if you look at other kind of players in this work execution management, we all kind of do it differently. We all have different capabilities. And I think what I said earlier, what stands apart for Smartsheet is um, the breadth of capabilities that we deliver, the no-code capability. Um, and that's what I think drives uh, so many of our customers. We have um, nearly 78,000 domains or businesses that use us today uh, to choose Smartsheet over some other alternative. So let me let me draw a scenario because I want to make sure I understand what what this type of offering how it how it might empower a company, particularly with the finance people playing a, a central role in my mind. Um, so here's the here's what I'm thinking when you described it to me. I was thinking that today, as we uh, hear frequently from finance leaders, how they are looking to send their people out to partner more closely with different parts of the business, uh, encouraging their people to, hey, let, you know, take the salespeople out to lunch, find out what are the numbers that they need, the data that they want to see more often or, you know, in real time even, and, and discover what that is. And let's find out how we can work more closely with them by getting them that data uh, alongside the numbers that are important to us, whether that's a profitability number or whatever it might be. Well, here's a product that maybe finance people who are working closely with different aspects of the business can tailor it, architect dashboards for those parts of the business, um, by, by, and, and funnel that data to them in, in a more uh, interesting, dynamic dashboard type of uh, way. Am I uh, – is that – Am I close? <laughs> yeah. That's, well, there's many 
there's over 2,000 use cases in Smartsheet. That's one of the amazing things about our product, but sometimes it's hard for people um, to get their arms around that. But the, the use case that you are um, sampling right now is actually one that we do. So our head of sales um, has his own finance dashboard, and it was created by his finance partner in FP&A. And on that dashboard, he has what his budget is for the quarter. He has, you know, how many headcounts that he's got. He's, maybe he's got the bookings forecast on there. And he and the sales and the finance team were looking at the same data. That's also really important. So let's say that um, our sales team wants to hire 10 more reps in the fourth quarter, and we don't have that in our forecast or in our budget. So what our head of sales can do is he can go into a form and request, this is all through Smartsheet, it's a web form, uh, request 10 more headcount. And in that web form, he will explain why he wants to um, add this headcount. He'll work with his FP&A partner to assess the cost. And then that web form gets routed uh, to me and to our CEO in the case of headcount. If it were, let's say he wanted to buy another software package, another system, or he wanted to have a commission, um, um, special commission for a month, that would get routed based on spend. So it would go to FP&A first to make sure that we can cover the incremental cost because we are tracking, right, to um, numbers that we give out to Wall Street. And then it would go to me up to a certain dollar amount, and if it were above that dollar amount, it would go to our CEO. All of that happens in Smartsheet. And it all gets approved in Smartsheet. And so not only does it make the process easier, we have a way to centrally track all of these ad hoc requests. So we're always, um, our, our forecast is always completely up to date. And these, these are things that at prior companies I've worked for, we get these surprises. Somebody would spend money that wasn't reflected in the forecast. That can't happen with the process we've created at Smartsheet. Another benefit of this is when you think about being a public company and having to be SOX compliant, you have policies that you need to follow. Your policies can be um, in, in input into these workflows such that you can never not follow your policy. And that is a, a big benefit then when it comes to having your accounting firms doing their audits and whatnot. So those are just a few examples of how you can leverage Smartsheet, but to your point, um, we have a ton of information in Smartsheet that, you know, we share with whomever has who can have access to it, and it, it makes working together much more aligned and uh, more transparent, which is a, a real big benefit. Now, would the finance people be your true champions of this? Uh, every organization is a little different, but, but again, uh, I, I, I would have to imagine – it's, it's the finance people are introducing it, and, and uh, similar to how you said you shared a, a PowerPoint slide deck uh, to other individuals, uh, the finance person shows up with this smart sheet breakout or, or dashboard. Actually, it, it's not. It, is, it, it can be finance, but it can also be an IT organization that might start using it to track their IT projects. And... You know, IT spend is a, is a big cost for a company, and 
oftentimes um, implementation of new systems or upgrades to new systems cost more and take more time than what you tell management. And so people are always like, Where, what's the status of that project? Well, we have IT organizations that are using it to track their IT um, digital transformations, for example. We have marketing teams that are using it to manage, to globally manage all of their um, events, um, which is also powerful. So it's not just finance. That's what makes Smartsheet so special is that it can be used by any industry and any part of the organization. It's, uh, it's really special in that respect. I want to ask you then how you are tracking performance and uh, what would you share with us in terms of the metrics that matter? Yeah. Well, we have three um, key metrics that we look at internally as well as share externally. So we try to align what are most important to us with what we're showing Wall Street. And the first one is, to what you indicated is dollar net retention rate. And that does include customer churn. So typically at our earnings call, we'll give out our dollar retention rate, which was 132%. Last quarter, that encompasses all of our customers, not just um, a certain a certain customer. So the good and the bad is all incorporated into there. And then people will often ask us, well, what is your dollar churn rate? And so we will provide that um, outside of that number. The second thing is um, – average annualized contract value. So if you take all of our customers, our domains, and, and say how much on average are they spending, we provide that number. And then we also provide customer count. And when we look at customer count, we'll provide breakouts by size. For example, um, how many customers pay us more than $50,000 a year and what percentage of our annual reincurring revenue is generated from customers of over $50,000. So these are the things that, you know, are important to us that we think will be helpful to investors in getting a better understanding of, of us as a, as a potential investment. And so those are the, the three main things. Now, internally, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll dice out um, retention rate uh, by um, type of customer sometimes. We, we look at other more minutia things, but um, that the high-level metrics are those. Now, in terms of uh, non-financial uh, data, I think you, you touched on some, but is there any non-financial metric you've thrown into the mix over the last, you know, during this latest tour of duty that perhaps you didn't pay attention to in the past, but now you're, you know, you have new respect for it? You know, I think most of the stuff that I look at um, is financial-related. Uh, we might look at, you know, how many customers um, – have our paying customer in the Fortune 500 and the Fortune 100, but I typically look more at the financial numbers and um, and see how they're they're tracking. And then you un you unpeel it and you say, you know, how is engagement coming? Uh, what are your customers using more of? What kind of feedback are you getting on what they like, what they don't like? I mean, it's really important that you listen uh, to what the customer is saying. So I would say maybe that's the one non-financial metric we really invested as well. When we come back, CFO Jennifer Saran supplies us with yet another finance strategic moment after these words from our sponsor. The business landscape is changing quickly. 
As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Okay, so I want to ask you uh, for a finance strategic moment. You've already shared quite a few with us, uh, Jennifer, but this is uh, an aha moment, something during the course of your career that uh, your unique lines of sight into the organization allowed you to uh, identify a risk, an opportunity, uh, led you to perhaps uh, change course of your group or the company, whatever it may have been. When I asked for a finance strategic moment, what comes to mind? Um, I was going to talk about the, the Euro cash pool at Sara Lee, but I sort of already mentioned that earlier. So I think the other one I will give you is um, when I was working at eBay slash PayPal, uh, we were expanding uh, internationally, growing quite fast. And we had set up a legal entity in the UK, so sort of like our regulatory entity. Uh, that was great, except for the fact that the um, requirements for capital were not super attractive. And so we were finding ourselves uh, investing a lot of our, our cash into managing these regulatory ratios. And um, I partnered with the, the tax team to say, hey, is there another place we could put our, our corporate headquarters in so that we would actually um, have a more efficient way of leveraging the cash? And we discovered um, that we could get a, a banking license in Luxembourg and that that had more favorable um, capital ratios. And so we had to make a big turn uh, moving away from the UK to Luxembourg, it took at least a year. We had to hire people in Luxembourg, which is, you know, can be a tough kind of scenario. But I believe PayPal would look back on that and say uh, that was a really good call. The other thing that we did as part of this is um, we we selected U.S. dollars as our functional currency for this Luxembourg entity versus euros. Sometimes when you so quickly into a foreign country, you just assume the functional currency for accounting purposes is the local currency. But that would have been a really big mistake because it would not have allowed us to hedge the currency risk uh, that that entity would be exposing itself to. So by selecting U.S. dollars, we were able to much better manage the, the volatility to your, your quarterly financial results uh, by having the currency functional currency be the same as the U.S. parent. And again, I think that's something that PayPal would probably say thank you for having put that in motion because it's making business easier today. Okay, great, great example. Thank you. Uh, we're going to move to our mentoring round. This is where I ask you quick questions intended to uh, inspire and mentor aspiring finance leaders. So what's exciting you today about finance and business? 
I mean, what's really exciting me about um, being at SmartSheet in finance and with respect to our business is the market opportunity we have. It's, as I mentioned earlier, it's in the multiple billions of dollars, and we have a real chance of extending our leadership position. And so we're going after this $1 billion in revenue within four to six years, um, and it's really exciting to help our customers uh, kind of improve how they work, which in turn will help us capture more of this market opportunity. I just think that there's so much growth opportunity in, in SaaS today, um, making your business more efficient, allowing you to make better decisions, um, managing work-life balance. I mean, there's, there's so much in the world to do. And so I, I get really excited about helping workers um, work better. What is that piece of information you wish someone had shared with you the first time you stepped into uh, the CFO office? What is it that you wish someone had told you at the start of that CFO career? I think if you talk to um, a lot of CFOs, I mean, the first thing is just be as prepared as you can be. It's good to have a cross-functional um, expert level of expertise. So the fact that I worked in at least four functional areas of finance helped me to uh, step in because I've got other areas I have to manage. So just being as knowledgeable as you can and, and what's, what you've got to do. But I think what surprised me was the importance of the CFO slash CEO relationship um, and how that really can impact company performance. I think it's really important that you and the CEO have mutual respect and alignment. It's important that you're in an environment where you feel safe on both sides to discuss the toughest situations at work, debating the issues, and then being able to come together on a course of action that you align with. And I will say that my CEO, Mark, Mark and I have, you know, an intense desire to win, uh, but we also have a good sense of humor, and we have a lot of humility at times as well. And I think it works that we're sort of similar in that respect. So we try to make it fun. Uh, so, for example, um, if, if there is an occasion when one of us has a, a different point of view, um, we will make a latte bet. And we keep tabs of our latte bets in Smartsheet. By the way, that's another use case. Track all your latte bets on Smartsheet. Uh, and we'll have multiple latte bets going on all at once. And, of course, once the outcome of, of what we thought actually um, becomes available, uh, you know, we learn a lot. One of us was wrong, the other was right, and I would say probably 50-50. He, he might say oh, he's always right, but I would always say I'm right. So I'm going to say we're 50-50 here. But it's, it's a great learning opportunity, um, but it also helps us um, continue to focus and, uh, and, and work together closely. Do you have a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? I think... Um, I think that I'm able to step back and look at all of the issues that could impact a decision. And I'm super laser focused on coming up with, um, with the solution that allows us to execute with excellence. 
And I've always been that way. It's important to deliver great outcomes. I, I'm, I very much feel that that is uh, one of the things that um, well, makes me feel like I've contributed. But in doing so, the best outcomes don't come from just me. It really comes from putting a great team together and getting everyone's input because I think that ultimately drives um, the best outcomes. So you have to have someone at the end of the day who makes the call, but you should make that call based on as much information as you can get. Is there a book you'd recommend to aspiring finance leaders? Well, I have two books. Uh, the first one is Measure What Matters by John Doerr, and it, it's probably a book pretty well known in Silicon Valley. It's about setting, um, setting goals and then uh, how you can best execute on those goals. And it's, it's also about measuring what you must and not, um, not what you can. And I actually learned that from a guy named Larry Carter, who was the CFO at Cisco. He, he had the opportunity to add all these metrics um, at a meeting we were in one day, and he stopped the FP&A leader, and he said, you know what? I really want to measure what I need to, not what I can. And I think that helps keep things simpler in a world that's very complex. But you got to make sure you're measuring the right, the right things, and that's what this book is all about. And the second book is uh, Strength Finders 2.0 by Tom Rath. And, and this book has been around for a while. It's about um, rather than, uh, you know, at your annual reviews with your team members telling them what they didn't do as well, it's more about leveraging their strengths. It's focusing people on what they do best versus trying to fix things they'll never be great at. The key goal is to not have a fatal flaw, but focus on what you really love to do and what you're best at. You'll get the best outcome. Okay, our final question. What are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Well, we will soon be starting our next fiscal year, start February 1. So my, my main focus right now and uh, in the coming 12 months will be on enabling the business to execute and to deliver for our customers. So in turn, we hit our financial objectives. Okay. Jennifer Saran, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Well, thank you, Jack. Have a great week. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.